The first of our readings from the sacred text this morning comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. I believe it's a different page in your Pew Bible, uh, page 58 OT section of Pew Bible. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came, became, it came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Our next reading comes from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. Verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, 
have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And there end the readings. Thanks, Liz. Appreciate it very much. Um, before I get into the kind of meat of the sermon, I wanted to um, speak about this Just Peace Sunday, um, say a couple things about it, and, and uh, link it a little bit to ourselves here. Um, so, if you actually go to the UCC website, ucc.org, you can, you can find some information about this on there. Um, but in one of the uh, printouts that they have, uh, there's just a simple question, what is just peace? And I think it's a helpful kind of perspective here to read this. Grounded in UCC polity and covenantal theology, the just peace pronouncement and the resulting church movement has at its core a call to alleviate systematic injustice of all kinds, using nonviolence, challenging us to explore the intersections between peace and justice, offering to the world the prophetic message, grounded in the hope of reconciliation in Jesus, that peace is possible. Now, um, I really like the fact, and I think it's important within the UCC, that these two words are put together, just and peace. Because when you look around the world, or in your own families, or wherever it is, um, you know, when, when there's justice in how everybody is treated and the opportunity everybody has, there tends to be peace. When... Some are trying to dominate others or deny them certain human rights that others, that they have themselves. There tends to be the kind of feelings, um, sometimes hopelessness, that ends up leading to violent encounters. So it is impossible and I think you could hold this up if you just did a whole biblical study on the entire Bible um, in terms of this question um, it is impossible to have peace in the world without the justice for all 
that um, God envisioned at creation, um, which we speak about in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's a call for just peace. Um, So a little perspective on that. Now, in the context um, of that, um, I want to mention just a couple of things. Um, One is, a week from Monday, on the 25th, and some of you may know about this, there is going to be a um, a, a special uh, school board meeting. You might remember just about two years ago now, um, when the Colville School District was being required to um, update some of its policies and how it carried out um, non-discrimination policies according to the state of Washington, um, the whole issue came up about uh, appropriateness in bathrooms for for all people. Um, and uh, there was 400 people at that school board meeting that I went to, and... Um, um, you know, frankly, my memory of it is that no one really wanted to listen to anybody else, and it was pretty kind of mean and nasty. Um, and part of the Christian community in Colville was was part of that. In fact, I was even named in an email that was sent out that I had been one of three people who had helped concoct this whole thing, and I didn't even know about it until a couple days before that meeting happened, actually. So um, it was a pretty strident time, and uh, they formed a school district formed a task force to slow things down and talk about what they would do and how they would comply with the state. And we're now two years later. Um, Cassandra and Tice uh, both served on that uh, on that task force, um, and uh, and now the recommendations from that task force are coming to the school board. And knowing what happened two years ago, they decided to set up a special meeting just um, just on this issue. Um, so their normal meetings are on Wednesday, but they're going to meet on Monday and Wednesday of that week, so the 25th and 27th. Um, so um, as part of Just Peace Sunday, I want to say that uh, I want to remind us as we think about that issue it's become called all around the country the transgender bathroom issue, but it really has to do with um, appropriateness for all people and the dignity of every single person, no matter who they are, um, having a comfortable and a private situation in a bathroom, especially our children. Um, and uh, I want to remind you that when we became an open and affirming church in uh, 2012, on September 23, Third, what's today's date? The 17th. So we're six days away from the five-year anniversary of doing that. One of the lines that we had in our statement was that um, the members and the friends of the Colville United Church of Christ commit ourselves to making justice and inclusivity a reality in this congregation and the world. We celebrate our God-given diversity. So we made a commitment in that statement uh, when we voted overwhelmingly to be an open and affirming church that we wouldn't just be that as people came in on Sunday morning, that we'd actually be out there in the world, in the community, um, standing by people in these situations. Um, So I plan to be at that school board meeting, and if I would like others from our wonderful church to consider possibly being there as well, and see if we can move towards a just P 
peace situation in our community, um, uh, valuing the dignity of, of every student in the school system um, that we have here. Um, and I would encourage anyone else to to join me at that meeting. And if you'd like to go, please, if you're thinking of going, please talk to me and let me, because I think maybe it would be helpful for us to have a little conversation ahead of time about if this happens, what do we do? If that happens, what do we do? That sort of thing. So um, I think that's, that's part of being, um, you know, working for a just peace in our world um, is to consider that. All right. So put that aside for right at the moment, although I'm sure in some ways this sermon is going to connect in a way. So, I, I did something weird for those of you just used to me, so you may see me looking down a little bit more. I actually wrote out my sermon. There's only one family here that doesn't know that I hardly ever do that. Um, so, it's written, it's written out today, and I don't know, something just happened when I was, when I was uh, working on it, and it just turned out that this is the way it needed to be today. So, um, ho- hopefully it will be a blessing to us all. So in my lifetime, I've experienced the best and the worst of church. Maybe you have too. Um, I've hoped and I've also been full of despair. Now one problem when I left the Catholic Church that I had is that I went from big to small. Catholics count not only by members, not by members, but by families in their church. I experienced uh, Catholic churches with 3,000 families. Can you get your head around that? Um, and then that, that church had uh, six worship services every weekend, masses as they call them. Um, and then what, uh, I also experienced what they called the, their small churches. Um, they were usually about 300 families. Wouldn't you like to be a small church like that? Yeah. So, you know, even in our heyday of this church, we, of course, were never that big. Um, Not even to match the small Catholic churches. Westminster United Church Christ in Spokane um, had about 2,000 members before it had a split in the early 60s. And it had to do with the forming of the United Church of Christ and what direction things were going. And uh, about half of them went up the hill and formed Plymouth Congregational um, and uh, with no affiliation to the United Church of Christ at all. Um, so that was, that was a big, pretty big church. Our, our biggest church now in the conference uh, is somewhere between 800 and 1,000 members. Um, I'm not sure which one's winning. It's either University in, Congregational in, uh, in Seattle or Plymouth, downtown um, Seattle, but they're both kind of up there a little bit. Today, Westminster is just shy of 200 members. Give you an idea. So the truth is, there's not been a century in the history of Christianity when church attendance was consistently high for all the decades of the century. Many of you remember strong, vibrant days in this church when there were programs and activities all around. And the families with children bringing so much energy and hope. 
On the nights that I sleep here in Colville, as many of you know, um, I sleep up in the, the, the old youth room, up a spiral staircase, up from the large Sunday school room, up these stairs behind me. Now, all these spaces used to be filled when the youth room was built about a quarter of a century ago. These were heady times. Back then, of course, the choir, led by our own Betty Skidmore here, um, led it strong for 50 years. Back then, the ladies' night out, I'm not sure when you made the change on this, but uh, brightened the night sky in large numbers, right? And, uh, and now carries that torch in the middle of the day, more like noonish. The church was strong. It was a com- community center and encouraged many inside and outside the church. Lots of people and lots of activity. Doesn't that make you feel good? It does me. When a pa- pastor walks in on Sunday and a a church is buzzing with activity, it's really easy to get in the zone (laughs) and really get in there. When the pastor can host a Bible study, retreat, prayer group, and workshop, and doesn't need to put most of the effort into marketing to get a few people to attend, it's a lot more fun. But we know that this is not the church of today. Yes, there are still strong churches and numbers and activities, but every day there are fewer of them. While many still say they believe in God and many still call themselves Christian of some sort, fewer and fewer see the need for church as participant or as member. For a good part of the past quarter of a century, I have track the statistics around this decline. The many diagnoses, I've also watched those, paid attention to them, and the theories and the programs for a cure to save our churches. Most of the cures have had very little effect. Take a minute. In your lifetime, when and where did you see any church that was like this. On fire in God's love. Thirsting to learn more deeply how to walk in the path of Jesus. Strongest in seeing that becoming the body of Christ in all ways as described in Paul's writings is the central mission of the church. Focus and activity in a work for God's justice, that God's will and desire and creation will be a reality on earth as it is in heaven. Think for a second what churches you know that exemplify one or more of those strong characteristics. And as you do that, Let us bring in some of today's sacred texts, because Liz did a lot of reading today, so we don't want to leave them out. The Exodus passages recount heady times as well. You recognize it. The miracle success as Moses leads the people out of Israel, out of their long bondage in Egypt. 
Moses led the resistance movement, acting on God's will, that Moses demand of Pharaoh, let my people go. So afraid was Pharaoh that he said yes. But then he recanted and he sent out his army to stop them from crossing the Red Sea. And so we have the story today of success in a miraculous and powerful way for the people of Israel. Yet, this was the beginning of a 40-year, multi-generational, difficult and doubt-producing journey. This story and all the stories of the 40-year journey become the template. They become a frame in which we can see our journey as a church out of our bondage through heady and successful times and then through difficult and doubt-producing times. This headline story, the first of many along the journey, challenges us to never lose hope in the promises from God becoming reality. The promises land... The promised land is there in front of us. The goal line where we all hope for, all that God has in store for us, it is waiting. But excuse me for saying it this way, but the damn journey, how do we navigate it? Last week, while I was at Insitsin and much of our church gathered there for Sunday worship. Some of you were here making church happen. I'm grateful for Jim Carter for leading worship and the sermon discussion. And last week, you had the Matthew reading that comes right before the one you heard today about the church. We see similar things in Paul's writings, but here Jesus is quoted. In, context, in the context of church, we are given the appropriate process in last week's reading for conflict resolution. Just go back a few verses from this reading. For resolving the grievances of one in the church against another in the church. I don't know why we need that. No one ever has any differences in the church, right? Right. It all begins like this. Last week's reading and this week's reading. If another member of the church sins against you. You know, most of the readings are about out there somewhere. This one's about the church. If another member of the church sins against you. Has anyone ever done that? And so, this very next passage we have this week begins the same way. Last week it was about conflict resolution. This week it's about forgiveness. Now, I have been criticized over the years for not always obeying the Bible, not being Bible-based in my thinking, and not giving answers consistent with the Bible. Over the years, this, this church and many UCC churches have heard this bad rap. Our open and affirming statement has led many to deride us as a church, judging us according to their Bible proofs. These people are so sure that seven verses that indirectly reference homosexuality are definitive. 
Well, yes, I and many in the church view the Bible differently. But that is a discussion for another day. For today, we look at the full body of work of God's journey with her people from creation through the 40-year journey to the promised land, to the many other evolving journeys to the church of, in the church of Jesus Christ as we try to be faithful followers of Jesus. What does the Bible say? What wisdom does it impart about how we deal with conflict resolution? The terms of forgiveness? Judgment versus non-judgment. Last week and this week, we have, we have specific and very practical guidelines about how we can successfully navigate the journey through life and the church community so that we achieve goals and are faithful followers of Jesus. So as we consider our fate, what would happen if from the small conflicts to the big issues, we became the model for how to handle these human situations in accordance with biblical principles and taking serious these instructions from Jesus. I wonder, would the church grow again? Our churches are far from doing this. All of them, frankly. Some have minor, made minor strides, but, but that's pretty much it. How do we get there? Our bodies have trapped inside all the unresolved conflicts of our life, all the unresolved relationships of our lives going back to the beginning. God is calling us to unpack, release this, to free ourselves again. Forgiveness for ourselves and towards others in the radical 77 times. Is that what it was? 77 times? We have trouble doing it once. Going forward, follow the biblical processes down to the detail, such as presented last week in the conflict resolution. Once again, just go back a few verses from today's Matthew reading. And then from today's reading, becoming a radically forgiving person. And this will unleash a new life for all of us. Over the years, a few people have said to me when I asked them about some issue, when I would say, so what, what, what do you think? And I would, I've heard from people occasionally say to me, Pastor Jim, you don't want to hear what I have to think. Afraid, I think, of what might come out if they let go. It's all been bottled up. Afraid they might regret what they might do or say. But the good news is you will survive. The hurt, the anger, the shame, the vulnerability that is bottled up. We can find healthy, healthy ways to release it, to resolve it, to heal it. 
And these Bible passages help us with that. If we don't, you know what happens? I'm really good at this. It leaks out through sarcasm and cynical one-liners. It punishes our bodies and our minds. Have you ever felt that in your It shows in the way we carry ourselves with others in certain situations. It affects, to ours and others' detriment, how we handle the smallest of conflicts going forward. As the church, as the body of Christ, we can create a safe zone, a sanctuary using biblical principles and processes to support each other in our raw places and to restore the wonder and the joy of each of us that will help bring transforming love into conflict situations. We may need that a week from Monday. Unleashing of forgiveness in the image of an unconditionally loving God. And it might bring a removal of the harshness of our judgments. And it might restore the integrity of the church. Saving our churches. And maybe the world.